0: hello everybody welcome to another episode of supernatural george i'm mittens and today we're going to be talking about season seven episode six slash fiction written by robbie thompson and directed by john f showalter welcome to supernatural robbie thompson and what a banger of a way to introduce yourself we're back to dealing with the big bads again but somehow we get more direct confrontation with Sam and Dean's issues via a two-minute scene with a couple of monsters than we have so far all season. And let's not forget we also get a similar peek into Bobby. We have the return of Jody Mills, too. Plus, we get one of my favorite side characters in Season 7. Gosh, I really love some Frank and wish the actor had been available to continue the role, though I can't really complain that we ended up getting Charlie Bradbury out of that deal later this season. But we finally also start making a little bit of progress, which just makes Sam so irrationally angry that he runs away again, and Dean still feeling so guilty that he just lets Sam go, despite the worry about Leviathan's and Sam's tenuous grip on reality. Sam gets to feel superior to Dean yet again by the end of the episode, leaving me here mentally pep-talking Dean into letting go of the bullshit baggage that he takes on himself. If Sam won't even pick up a tiny iota of responsibility, that doesn't mean you have to perpetually carry this mess around for him too. Heck, I'm getting pre-angry for my own inconvenience. Let's start over at the then segment and go from there because I love this episode to bits despite what this intro is starting to sound like. <laughs> yeah, I just get frustrated with their issues in season seven a little bit, just a, just a tiny bit. Anyway, we get a little refresher starting with Bobby answering the call from Jody about her doctor being a monster and to get to Sioux Falls General. Bobby fighting with the Dr. Leviathan, and then describing the Leviathans for us, like shapeshifters who are a lot more into Eaton folk. And we get visuals on a couple of them. Genuinely horrible, just all mouth and teeth. But also the reminder that nothing can kill them, as far as they know yet. They even dropped a car on one, and he survived that just fine. Though, I would like to argue that they have not tried the wood chipper yet, but maybe that wouldn't do anything either. We're then reminded of the Leviathan that Sam and Dean encountered at the end of last week's episode that was conveniently incapacitated temporarily by a witch, James Marsters the Witch. And then from the very end of last week's episode, Sam being pissed off at Dean for not unburdening his guilt and whatever he's not talking about with Sam. And then a flashback to Dean stabbing Amy and Sam asking if they're good, right? And then Dean sort of going, yeah, right? Because he feels extreme guilt. Which brings us to now. At the first bank of Jericho... A name you may recognize from the pilot episode of Supernatural. It was the name of the town where they encountered the woman in white. Sam and Dean supposedly walk into a bank. Dean walks up to a teller, mildly flirts with her, as he waves Sam over to lock the front door. Dean asks for change for a 100 and she's about to make change for him when he pulls out a gun and tells her, "Yeah, just give me all your money." It's a robbery. They herd everyone in the bank into the vault. And then Dean winks up at the security camera and they just open fire on everybody and kill everybody in there. And then it cuts to the title card. Splat in the bank vault, splat in the title card. Post-title card, we return to the cabin in Whitefish, Montana, where Bobby has the Leviathan dude from the previous episode chained up. And to this point, we've never even had a name for this Leviathan dude, but Bobby calls him Chet. So let's go with that. Chet the Leviathan. Bobby's wearing gloves and preparing some sort of solution in a syringe. He injects whatever that is into Chet's thigh. And Chet's only reaction is a taste assessment of whatever Bobby was trying on him. Apparently, he's tried a lot of things, holy water and rock salt already, and probably a bunch of other things. And Chet is equally unbothered by whatever Bobby just injected him with. At this point, he's just trying to find anything that might hurt a leviathan. Sam and Dean show up, and Bobby informs them that nothing he's tried has even made a dent in this guy. And Dean urges him to speed up the testing process because that spell is going to wear off in a day or two. And then they're going to have to drop a car on this guy just to stop him. And then Chet informs them that, oh, no, dropping the car on Edgar didn't hurt him at all. He's fine. Because up to this point, Sam and Dean thought that may have worked. Dean pulls a chair up over to the monster and asks him how he found them. And he's like, oh, it's simple. And he describes the computing process he used to track them through their known aliases. Bobby's like, oh, great, a minsa monster. So Sam asks where the Leviathan even got their aliases from. He's just still supremely unconcerned. From your trench-coated friend, obviously. When they were inside Cass, they learned everything there was to know about the Winchesters and everything Cass knew. Bobby asks why Chet's even answering their questions. Why is he telling them all of this? And Chet's just like, i I'm not scared of you.'" Chet then tells them, "'You are aware that I am the least of your concerns, right?' But they have not watched the news yet today "'cause they've been focused on him. They have no idea that Sam and Dean are wanted for bank robbery and mass murder.'" It is very clear that that was not Sam and Dean in the cold open. From upstairs... They're wondering how the Leviathans were able to duplicate them. And from downstairs, Chet yells, From the motels, it wasn't hard to lift your DNA from a motel shower drain. We just took some of your hair. It's like, he truly is unafraid of them. They quickly realize that the Leviathans want to squeeze them to make it so that they are the most wanted men in America. No matter where they go, Somebody is going to recognize them and they will not be able to move around or do their jobs or do anything. Dean wants to go after them, like kill them in person, even though they don't know how to kill them yet. And Bobby's like, why would you do that? You can't even leave this building without getting recognized by somebody. Bobby tells Sam and Dean that these things are smarter than you. And they flash down to Chet downstairs, who's just kind of like, laughing sort of gleefully about that fact. He truly does believe the Leviathans are smarter than the Winchesters. But Sam and Dean are both in agreement. This is personal. They're wearing our faces. We've got to try and stop them. Bobby thinks they're morons because, again, they don't have any way to hurt or kill them. What are they gonna do? Get themselves eaten or arrested? And congratulations, you've just uncovered the plot of this week's episode. Bobby tells them that if they're going to be stupid, that they should at least be smart about it. And he hands them the address of one Frank Devereaux, who owes Bobby a favor, but who is also a little bit of a lunatic. So they're headed to him with no idea what on earth Frank is going to do for them but at least it's going to keep them from driving directly toward the Leviathans impersonating them for at least a little while. gives Bobby a chance to try and find something that might be an effective weapon against them. They pull into a gas station, and Sam goes inside, and Dean asks for his usual rhymes with sing-songs. You'd think it would be ding-dongs, but no, it's something called bing-bongs, which I would like to point out are cakes they're little snack cakes. Dean here is asking for cake. Just so we're all clear that he doesn't hate cake. He just only wants it when he asks for it. When he asks for pie, he wants pie. Okay. Just bringing them back around from earlier this season. Sam takes that, a couple bottles of water, and then asks the clerk, hey, do you guys sell protein bars? And the clerk finally looks away from what he's watching and gets a glimpse of Sam and kind of freezes in shock. The guy really cagey tells Sam, yeah, it's in the back. Just give me a second. Sam's like, oh, yeah, of course. And the guy like slowly walks into the back room and Sam leans over the counter and looks at what the guy was watching on TV. It's the news footage of Sam and Dean holding up that bank and killing some people and Sam checks and the guy in the back is covertly on the phone, calling the cops on them. He realizes that their lives are not going to be easy as long as they look like these guys killing people on the national news. Sam walks quietly back out, tells Dean Cashier just made me drive. So they may not have actually done those murders, but they did just steal gas. (laughs) The next morning, we're back at Lake Manitok from Dead in the Water episode of Supernatural, where there has been another huge robbery. Two FBI guys are talking to the local sheriff, who's shocked that this is now the second bank they've robbed, plus that convenience store. So I guess Blackwater Ridge in Colorado from the second episode of Supernatural was in between the two banks from the first and third episodes of Supernatural and one of the FBI guys says to the other, you know, like a real serial killer, this cross-country crime spree, and the other one's like, no, do not be excited about this, that just means so much paperwork. They get the message that the Winchesters were spotted at a gas and sip about a thousand miles from here. Yeah, somewhere in Wyoming, probably, where they started. Later that night, Sam and Dean pull up in front of a house that looks kind of deserted. It's completely dark with overgrown shrubs and stuff, and they knock on the door anyway. When they get no answer, they try the door. It's unlocked. They walk inside, cautiously yelling out for Frank, when eventually they turn around and as a light comes on behind them, and they see Frank sitting there with a gun pointed at them, and he seems delighted frank figures out who they are almost immediately psycho butch and sundance you're on cnn right now sam is like no 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 that's not us they just look exactly like us and frank's like yeah obviously unless you had a teleporter you couldn't have gotten here that quickly from where you held up a bank just now but then he gets real serious do you have a teleporter like that's a thing that could happen Sam and Dean are like, uh, no, because he's still pointing a gun at them. I love Frank so much. He really is batshit. But man, I love him. Frank asks them who sent them an essay, the Phoebe March of Dimes, as if the March of Dimes was a sinister organization. <laughs> and Dean's like, Bobby Singer sent us. Frank immediately jumps to his feet, cocks the gun. And Dean's like, oh, what? What? No, who? I don't know who that is. Sam says that Bobby sent them there for help because apparently Frank owes Bobby from something in Port Huron. and Frank's like, what, a guy saves your life one time and apparently you owe him for the rest of yours? Dean's like, yeah, yeah, that's kind of how it works. And Frank's just like, god damn it, okay, and agrees to help them and just starts shredding their ID and their credit cards and They don't really understand what this guy is doing yet, but he's just destroying the rest of their identities, basically. Not that their fake credit cards and IDs were actual identities, but, you know, they were ones they'd picked themselves. Frank's got this whole computer set up, like, inside a Faraday cage and really high-tech shit, and he's like, yeah, Bobby's into all that magic hooey, but... The government's been cloning people for years. It was your just your turn for it. Frank advises them that Cuba's nice this time of year. Like, get away from where these people can get you. And Dean's like, oh, no, we're not hiding. Frank just laughs at him. He's like, is he always this stupid? And he's like, well, Frank, if somebody was impersonating you out in public, wouldn't you feel personally responsible for trying to get back at them? Maybe. Frank tells them that he'll help them get off-grid but stay on the board, in Dean's terms. Wiping all of their previous fake identities, no more rock aliases. From now on, you're John and Tom Smith. And he chucks them each a brand new cell phone. Tells them to change the number on a frequent basis. Use cash only, no more credit cards, because they can be tracked. Even your fake identity cards can. And to stay out of view of any of the 200 million cameras that the government has access to. Dean expresses surprise at that number of cameras, and it's kind of funny that he does, because how many times in the history of this series have they used surveillance cameras in order to track a monster? It's like, Dudes, you guys do it to monsters and other people. Why would you think that they couldn't just do the same to you? Hmm. Frank goes digging through Sam's backpack and pulls out his laptop and then just starts smashing it against the edge of his desk. Sam's like, whoa, what the hell? And then Frank just smiles and hands him a brand new laptop. Like, he's proud of himself for this. And then when Sam finally says thanks, Frank's like, "'Okay, you owe me five grand cash.'" And they're like, "'What, what, what?' Frank then just pushes them both up against a wall and takes their pictures to make new ID, Mr. and Mr. Smith. From their little impromptu photo shoot, we cut back to Bobby in the basement at the cabin, getting totally frustrated and just shooting the leviathan, who hoots and hollers and tells Bobby to, "'Do it again! Do it again!' Apparently, nothing is working on this guy. They taunt each other back and forth a bit, and he finally says, How long do you think these chains are going to hold once that spell wears off, huh? Tick-tock, old man. They're running out of time. But Chet won't shut up. He just taunts Bobby, I'm going to enjoy eating you, and then I'm going to eat everyone you've ever said hello to. Finally, Bobby just gets fed up with hearing the guy's voice, grabs a machete, and just chops his head off and finally at least gets some blessed silence back at frank's the next day well the sun has risen again he hands them a map with all the locations of their doppelgangers crime spree marked off on it and he's like i can't find a pattern and sam's like what does it seem random and Frank's like, there is no such thing as a random series of robbery homicides by your evil twins. Sam gives Frank a genuine thanks, and he's like, for what? Sending you to your death? Your doppelgangers want to put you in the line of fire. They're getting themselves caught on camera deliberately, not just to bait you, but to bait law enforcement against you. Frank then tells them if you want to be dumb and you're still going to go out there and not lay low like any normal person should, at least have the common sense to ditch your car because your twins are using one that looks exactly like yours. Dean looks shocked and horrified that he's going to have to let his car go, even just for a little while. We know by the end of this episode it's in a barn under a tarp and they're driving a piece of shitmobile. But there is a good reason for it. In Season 7, the Impala gets a complete engine rebuild. She gets beefed up and a couple months worth of TLC care and attention. And honestly, good for baby. She's having a spa couple of months here. Meanwhile, back at the cabin, Bobby took Chet's headlessness... As a chance to run out to the store he comes back with a paper bag full of groceries and then somebody knocks on his door he pulls a gun goes to answer it and it's Jody Bobby's shocked to see her he asks her how she found him she's like I'm a cop Bobby how do you think then she holds up a bag and a six pack of beer and is like are you gonna invite me in Bobby warns her that she may not want to come in because he's got one of the monsters downstairs, and she's just like, well, then I won't go downstairs. And honestly, it's stuff like this that makes you love Jody. Jody said she tracked Bobby down to thank him for saving her life back at the hospital. She asks him how he's doing, and he's like, fine, every day's a gift. And she looks at him dead-eyed like, your house just burned down. How can you possibly be fine? He just keeps trying to brush it off until finally she cuts him off and says, Bobby, just let someone be nice to you for five minutes. And he seems genuinely surprised by this. Like, oh, wait, you want to be nice to me? Huh? But she offers to cook for him and maybe help tidy up his place a little bit. And she figures she owes him at least that much. While Jody's upstairs doing all that, Bobby goes downstairs to work on chet some more only to find a snail trail where his head has crawled across the floor and is just now affixing itself back onto his neck unfortunately reprieve did not last long enough chet's like did you think it would be that easy bobby's like nope but that was a start and he just chops his head off again sorry chet meanwhile Sam and Dean are driving their first little piece of shit car. One of the taillights is busted out. There's this little old hatchback wagon with a My Little Pony hanging from the rearview mirror. And Dean's just staring at it like it insulted his entire lineage. He finally pulls out his knife and cuts it down and throws it in the back seat. And Sam looks at him like, What the hell, man? That's an aggressive response while you're driving the car. (laughs) Just because there's a little toy hanging from the rear view. Sam considers Dean's behavior a slight overreaction to the circumstances, and Dean is just completely offended that not only are people running around killing people while wearing their faces, but now they have to drive this piece of crap and babies on lockdown. Sam insists that it's just temporary, Dean, like take it down a notch. And Dean quotes... Nobody puts baby in a corner and Sam's like, you you do know that's a line from it's a line from Dirty Dancing. And Dean cuts him off before he can say that though and says, Swayze movie, Swayze always gets a pass. Sam's like, okay, well maybe maybe some tunes then. He tries to turn on the radio, and it's playing air supplies all out of love. And Sam's like looks at Dean like, oh man, sorry, I don't want to make it worse for you let me turn it back off. And he's like, no, 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 just leave it, leave it. And then starts getting so into it, like this song, I'm all out of love. I'm so lost without you. He's singing along to it, like mouthing the words and getting really into it. So Sam's there trying to study this map and figure out what all of these locations that the Leviathans are hitting mean. And he's just slowly looking over at Dean, just passionately lip-syncing along to the song. Like, who the hell even is this and what have they done with my brother kind of look. Dean catches him staring and looks slightly uncomfortable that he got caught out in that moment, but he still can't resist himself. He looks like almost out the side window and just continues singing quietly to himself until Sam finally has had enough And just turns off the radio. But he has put it together. The locations are in order. The first cases they worked after Sam left Stanford. Dean's like, what? So do they want us to find them? And Sam's like, well, maybe. And he says the next case is in St. Louis. But if we actually go back to season one, that's not true. The next case that they work after Lake Manitok is in Pennsylvania, with Specky the Wonder Demon on the airplane. And then Ohio and Indiana for Bloody Mary. Then St. Louis, where they go to help Sam's friend from college, in Skin. And Dean gets shapeshifterized. Which, honestly, is appropriate, considering what's happening to them in this episode. But I always wondered if they just intentionally skipped those other two episodes worth of Supernatural locations on purpose just to get to St. Louis and then Ankeny, Iowa, which was Hookman. But Dean is really excited about the prospect of going to St. Louis, not for any connections to that past case, but because of a diner that made the best burgers because he deserves something good in his life right now. We then cut to Dean eating a burger, except we all know it's not actually Dean. It's Leviathan Dean eating a burger at that diner Dean is drooling about in the car. Leviathan Dean is complaining to Leviathan Sam while sitting in front of a rack filled with pies. Oh, real Dean would be loving that. But he says... He has one of these almost every day, and in his heart, he believes it's almost as good as sex. And he's judging Dean hard for this thought. But the Leviathan proclaims the burger, disgusting, and throws it down on the plate. You know, because Leviathans prefer eating people. Leviathan Sam pushes his plate away, big old salad, and complains that it's just dead plants with creamy goo and describes it as like eating self-righteousness. And isn't that how we've talked about Sam and his dietary restrictions he imposes on himself since the beginning of the series, is this whole purity push? But they're trying to compare which is worse. And the Leviathan-wearing Dean says, I honestly can't stand the guy. Talk about a hero complex. He doesn't have relationships. He has applications for sainthood. And he does not appreciate Dean's sense of humor. Dean thinks he's hilarious. But this guy does not think Dean is hilarious at all. Sam counters, who has two thumbs and a full-blown bats in the belfry, points both thumbs at himself. It's like Satan vision in here 24-7. So now we've got insight into Sam. He really is hallucinating the devil constantly. No matter what he's trying to tell Dean and put up this whole front to Dean. That's something to be really concerned about. And Dean kind of low-key knows it. And that's why he's trying to keep everything he can from Sam. He does not trust him. And then he gets reflective and says, you know, I had a brother with this many issues once. I ate him. Dean's like, yeah, good for you. But the Sam Leviathan can't even figure out why Sam and Dean are even on their boss's radar, and the boss says they've got to go, so we're just doing our jobs. Sam asks Dean if he wants to trade, because he'll, quote, take chuckles over schizo, and Dean looks him up and down, like, nah, I like this one's hair better. You can stay in the big one. Sam then replies, okay, then let's turn up the heat. The sooner I can get out of this and into something more stable, the better. So even the Leviathan has completely judged Sam as being unsuitable for life here. Which is saying a lot from a Leviathan's point of view. And an awful lot about how much Sam is hiding about his current mental state. They're about to pull their guns out of their jackets when Dean's like hang on, turns to a kid sitting across the diner, Tells him to fire up the camera on that thing, pointing to the phone sitting on the table. The kid just laughs at him like, yeah, no, I don't think so, pal. And then Dean points a gun at him and is like, yeah, point it over here. And the kid's like, oh shit, okay, and turns the phone camera on. Only once the kid is recording do they start their whole robbery shtick. Dean walks up on the bar and Sam just, they just pull out their guns and... One of the background characters in this scene is S.E. Hinton, the author of The Outsiders, who has a long-standing relationship with this show for some reason. And there she is, just sitting there. She was visiting set that day. They let her be an extra, just as a diner patron. And she gets blown away. In their universe, Essie Hinton is dead because she, <laughs> she got offed by leviathans in a diner. So if that warms your heart just a little bit, then I understand. But while Sam and Dean's doppelgangers are shooting up the diner that Dean's longing for, they're still driving on the phone with Bobby, who informs them that lopping their heads off doesn't kill them, but it slows them down for a little bit. Bobby's like, I don't want you walking right up to them either, at least not until I've got something you can shoot at them. As they're about to hang up with Bobby, Jody calls out, Hey, you take mayo, right, Bobby? She's making them sandwiches. Dean's like, Wait a second. You got a chick there? They try to tease Bobby about it, and he's like, Shut up. Then he asks them where they're headed to next. They inform him St. Louis. Bobby's like, Too late. They already shot up a diner in St. Louis, and Dean's like, Connor's Diner? And Bobby has to inform him of the horrible truth that, yes, Dean can't go back there and get his wonderful burger he'd been looking forward to. So they have to head off towards their next destination, Ankeny, Iowa. And the thing with Connor's Diner is when we originally saw that episode, there was no place in that episode with Connor's Diner. That's something that Dean did off-camera which proves that the Leviathans are not working from the supernatural books or some other source of secondhand information. They really are just digging back into Sam and Dean's memory banks for significant hunts that they did. So I guess they don't consider the Pennsylvania hunt for Specky the Wonder Demon or the Bloody Mary case to be important enough to have registered in Sam and Dean's collective memories. But poor Dean, he's lost something else now. They've lost their identities. They've lost Cass. He's lost his trust in Sam. He's lost his car. And now he's lost even just a burger that he'd been looking forward to. The next morning, we cut back to Connor's Diner. And see the death, dismemberment, and destruction that has taken place there as the two FBI agents from the previous bank robbery show up to investigate, blood smeared across the jukebox. And they talk to the officer who was the first on scene, who's sitting there watching the video footage that Dean Leviathan had made that poor kid shoot. At one point in the video, the kid starts to put the camera down you know he's in shock he's horrified and sam comes running over and yells at him hey 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 you keep that thing up i want the whole world to know what sam and dean winchester are capable of sam then shoots his dinner companion dean asks is that all of them and sam's like all but one and then shoots the kid holding the camera as he begs for his life then sam picks up the camera and holds it close on him and dean and says thanks St. Louis we're headed to Iowa next and winks at the camera again and these two FBI agents are just staring at it and you can't really tell what they're thinking they just look hard-faced but they know they've got to get to Iowa which is a very large place I mean you know Iowa is not a specific target location Back at Bobby's, he pulls out a battery and some jumper cables and sparks them and then checks the chains on Chet. And as he does, we get a close-up of his arm brushing against Chet's, and Chet's like, oh ho, I can replicate you now. So as Bobby turns back to prepare his gear, Chet transforms into Bobby. He's like, does this skin make me look fat? And Bobby's like, I'll walls. The Leviathan's like it's pretty dark in here. As we know, Bobby's life is pretty dark. He tells Bobby, "Oh, you're 10 pounds of sad in a 5-pound bag." Sam and Dean are walking down the street in Ankeny, Iowa when their doppelgangers, driving a Impala with rims that Dean appreciates, drive past. But they get their first look at themselves all sorts of wrong, and I agree with that. Dean calls Bobby to tell him they've got eyes on themselves. It's like looking in a funhouse mirror. Bobby glances back at Chet, now looking exactly like him. It's like, yeah, I know the feeling. Bobby tells them to hang back for now until he works up something that they can use from a distance, and Dean doesn't even get to finish his thought because cop cars pull up. It's like the Leviathan knew that Sam and Dean were going to be there and called the cops on them, because the cops don't go for the Impala directly across the street with the two identical-looking guys. No, they go right after the real Sam and Dean. Dean tells them, look, there's been a misunderstanding. The guys you want are right there. Just look behind you. Just turn around and look. The cops yelling, shut up at them. And I can never not think of this guy as Colonel Ty from Battlestar Galactica, so. <laughs> but he doesn't turn around, and as Sam and Dean are getting handcuffed, they're doppelgangers across the street, Dean winks at him. That guy, that Leviathan Dean, he really likes winking. Back at Bobby's, Chet is trying to taunt Bobby some more, saying, you know the thing about you? And Bobby's like, save it. I already know me, handsome. The Leviathan taunts Bobby for having hope for the future that maybe when this is all over, you and that sheriff up there could make your own little cabin in the woods. He's like, why do you even bother? You're not going to live longer than tomorrow. Bobby's response is to pick up the machete again and ask him if he's a Browning fan, the poet. You got that rattling around up there? Bobby says that a man's reach should exceed his grasp, and the Leviathan actually likes the quote and promises to check out a library as soon as he eats Bobby. Bobby takes a backswing like he's about to chop his head off again when something drips down from the ceiling, lands on the Leviathan's arm, and starts burning him. It rapidly burns a hole in his arm as he screams, Get it off! Get it off! Bobby goes running upstairs to find Jody with a bucket of water that she'd spilled all over the floor. She's cleaning it up. She apologizes to him for it. And Bobby just runs over to her and kisses her on the mouth. And he asks her what the hell was in the bucket. And she's like very, very confused about this. Like she was just cleaning the floor. What the hell? (laughs) Meanwhile, back in Ankeny in the sheriff's office... They're hauling Sam and Dean into jail. Sam's telling them they made a terrible mistake. The guys they want were back at that diner or wherever they got picked up. While Dean insists he wants his phone call. They walk past a fire axe mounted on the wall. That'll come in handy later. Uh, Chekhov's fire axe, I guess. Colonel Ty, or the sheriff, says, take this one to cell number one and take that one to the interview room. So Dean gets locked in a cell. Sam gets taken to interview, and the only call he's making is to the FBI. Two cops walk out. They've all been dismissed for the night since they did a good job catching the awful fugitive people. But out in the parking lot, the Leviathans are waiting. It's clear from the way that they go walking directly back into the police station that it's not those two cops, but the Leviathans now wearing their skin The cop still inside's like, hey, did you guys forget something? I thought you were gone for the night. But they just walk over, break that other guy's neck, and open their leviathan mouth to feast on the guy. Back in the jail room, Dean tells the sheriff that he has a right to his phone call and the sheriff's pissed at him like you've killed how many people in the last couple days and you want your rights applied to you immediately? Hmm. Dean tries to tell him he Didn't kill anybody, but obviously that doesn't make sense to the sheriff. And he just ends up begging him, please, just give me one phone call. Of course, he calls Bobby, who's got a molten lump of Leviathan now chained to a chair, and tells Bobby that they got popped. Bobby's like, I'll be there as soon as I can. Dean tries to convey that the Leviathans saw them get arrested, know where they are, and are coming to get them. There's no time for Bobby to come get them, but he's trying to tell Bobby this in code that won't make the sheriff just hang up the phone on him. Bobby then tells him there's something that they can use against the Leviathans. Sodium borate. Borax. It's in all sorts of cleaning products. Bobby explains that the borax burns them. Get as strong as you can. The sheriff is listening to all of this with a growing face of disgust and horror. And then Bobby says, then you need to get close and chop the heads off and keep the heads separate. Dean tells Bobby he's a genius and the sheriff's listening to all this and just hangs up on Bobby. He's like, borax chopping off heads? What the hell? The sheriff starts to walk out, like just disgusted with Dean for being a sicko. And Dean's like, Listen to me, if you don't get every ounce and every drop of that stuff you've got in this station, you're in danger. We're all in danger. But the sheriff just looks at Dean like, You're crazier than I thought, and just leaves. Only he doesn't walk back into his nearly empty, calm, peaceful police station. He walks in to see a horror bloodbath where two of his deputies have apparently turned into monsters and are eating a third. One of the deputies has his mouth all covered with blood. And the other one walks in and is like, what are you doing? And he's like, I was hungry. The other deputy is like, we don't have time for this. Come on, let's go. The sheriff watches his deputy transform into Sam Winchester again. And the other one transform into Dean. They walk right back out of the sheriff's office. And he cannot believe his eyes. He walks back into the jail room where Dean is. Dean's like, what is it? And the sheriff cannot form words about it. Dean says, well, then let me out of here. And the sheriff, without hesitating, unlocks the jail cell and lets Dean out. Dean's like, okay, you listen to me and we'll live. Get all the borax you've got. Meanwhile, in the interview room, Sam is fiddling with his handcuffs. He's chained to a table. When Dean comes in, Sam seems relieved for a moment, like, Dean, come on, help me get these handcuffs off. Dean has to say, well, I'm not Dean, but I am Dean adjacent. Sam looks less than pleased to be chained to a table when he meets this leviathan. Meanwhile, out in the main squad room, Dean takes the gun off the dead deputy and apologizes for it. And then sees Sam. Before Sam can even say a word, Dean's like, not Sammy. He knows it's the Leviathan copy. Dean takes one shot at him. It does nothing. And the Leviathan throws Dean into a trophy case. Back in the interview room, there's some sort of weird reverse interview happening. Dean's just standing over Sam, telling him, I just want you to know how much I've grown to hate you and your brother. The Leviathan doesn't understand them at all. He's like, you could be anything. You're strong, you're uninhibited, you're smart. But the Leviathan is irritated at them because they are squandering that opportunity to, quote, subjugate the weak because Sam and Dean are too busy caring about each other. And I guess just like people in general, too. Meanwhile, back in the squad room, Dean finally looks up and notices the fire axe smashes the glass in front of it instead of just opening the cupboard like most people would and facing down against Sam. But the Leviathan says, cute, you think you're going to get close enough to use it? Like the Leviathan's going to snatch it out of your hands before you can make contact with him? And Dean's like, not until you're burning. And the sheriff sneaks up behind him and splashes Sam with a big tub of borax water. He starts burning and then Dean beheads him. Meanwhile, back in interview, Dean should have gotten there a few minutes earlier because Dean the Leviathan is spilling all of Dean's secrets to Sam. He's like, here's the truth. Dean thinks you're nutballs. He thinks you're off your game. Sam tries to be snarky with him like, you're just playing with your food here. And Dean just grins at him like he knows something Sam doesn't. Oh, he sure does. He tells Sam, I guess that's why he never told you he killed Amy. And then Sam looks appalled. And then Leviathan smirks at him like, yep, there it is. That's the look I wanted on you. Now I can eat you because I like my meat a little bitter. Before he can do anything, Dean busts down the door, followed by the sheriff, splashes a whole bottle of borax liquid on him and beheads the leviathan wearing himself how many times has dean gotten to kill himself in canon this is at least a third but he's like god that felt good which says an awful lot about dean's current mental state this is kind of the moment where he sheds some of his personal guilt the sheriff runs over and unlocks sam's handcuffs sam has no idea what the fuck is going on yet And he's still pissed off and shaken from this information he's just learned about Dean. But the sheriff is moving them along because the FBI is on their way. And Dean's like, yeah, I figured. uh, But about that. And the sheriff is like, yeah, anything I can do, especially if it involves lying about everything I just saw. Like, he does not want to talk about or think about this horror that he's just witnessed ever again. Dean's like, well, we were kind of hoping you'd help us be able to be dead. And the sheriff's like, yeah, yeah, I can swing that. They've got two corpses that look exactly like Sam and Dean right now. Dean tells Sam to come on, grab a mop. And Sam's just sitting there, like, not even able to look at Dean or speak. Dean's like, Sam, you coming? Sam tells Dean that he's fine, but that is clearly a lie. And this is why Dean had kept the truth about Amy from him the whole time. Yes, Dean does not trust you. He thinks you're nutballs. He thinks you're off your game. He couldn't put that trust in you. He had to take things into his own hands. You forced him into that position, Sam. And you're going to turn around and blame Dean. Later on, Colonel... I keep calling him Colonel Ty. God damn. It's not Colonel Ty. This is not Battlestar Galactica i'm sorry it's an excellent series highly recommend anyway this is the sheriff in ankeny iowa supernatural not colonel ty on battlestar galactica anyway he's telling the fbi dudes a completely made-up story about how he got the suspects cornered and shot them both medical examiner hands the file over saying cause of death was gunshot wounds I fingerprinted them first, of course, for your records. It's proof that Sam and Dean Winchester are dead. One of the two officers says that they'd like to examine the bodies themselves, and the sheriff says that their bodies have already been sent to the crematorium in line with their living wills and religious requirements. As if Sam and Dean have living wills or religious requirements the sheriff argues back that you know once they're completed their autopsy they're bound by law to release the bodies and then one of the fbi guys is like to have their bodies destroyed what kind of backwater is this and the other one calms him down like it's okay no bodies no paperwork remember that's supposed to be a good thing you told me but that's the official story that makes the news that the Winchester crime spree is over, they were gunned down in Iowa, and Bobby and Jody see that play out on the TV as Jody gets ready to leave. Jody's like, if there's ever anything else you need me to spill, give me a call. And Bobby walks over to her and she's smiling all happy like, oh, maybe he'll kiss me again now. And Bobby's like, yeah, there's one more thing. Can you take this and throw it off a bridge somewhere? And it's the box with the Leviathan's burnt up borax head in it not exactly the romantic gesture jody had been looking for and then he excuses himself says i got a body i got a berry in cement and jody just kind of smiles at him like yeah i guess i know what i'm getting into here but i'm here anyway and then bobby leans in and kisses her on the cheek now everybody in unison "Aww, that was so sweet Yes, Virgil the Categories. He growled at me when I said that. Back at the sheriff's office, he's in there with the medical examiner as she's finally questioning him. I can't believe you were lying to the FBI, incinerating bodies. What the hell even is this stuff? Because it sure as hell isn't blood. She's testing the black goo from one of the Leviathans, and he's just looking at her with sort of pity. When the younger of the two FBI agents, the one who was trying to convince his superior, oh, we're not going to worry about paperwork, right? Comes back in and says, you're right, sweetie. It's not blood. Colonel Ty. The sheriff turns around thinking he's in trouble. He's like, I can explain. And the FBI dude's like, don't bother. I know all about it. And opens his big old Leviathan mouth and attacks and kills them both the Leviathan FBI guy, goes in to examine the bodies of his fallen compatriots and reports into his boss that he found them, but unfortunately their heads are gone, and we get our first look at Dick Roman. Their boss is very disappointed that, after all of this, the Winchesters still escaped. He's mad that all of this work they've put in went to waste because it's not like they can frame the Winchesters like this. Again, nobody's going to believe they came back from the dead twice, Dick says to Valenti here, the FBI agent. Next time, call me with a win. Don't make me bib you as some sort of punishment that we will see in all of its gory detail in a few episodes, but holy heck, it's disturbingly gross. Dick hands his limo driver some money and to asks him to go get a latte across the street for him to get himself whatever he wants. And then he gets in his limo, which is all luxuriously laid out with all sorts of glassware. He could have made himself a drink in here, but no, he wanted his vanilla latte. Crowley appears there with a gift basket offering of muffins made from baby uvulas. Crowley says, I'll cut to the chase, Mr. Roman and dick's like please dick he wants to be called dick and even crowley's like well that i guess that is a choice you know crowley is trying to make a business play to partner with dick roman as their interests may meld to the benefit of everybody dick's like why would we be friends crowley's like well i brought you here i found the way to open the door to purgatory and dick calls him out on that it's like yeah to steal every soul in purgatory for their power not to release me but dick looks directly at crowley and dead serious says i'd rather swim through hot garbage than do business with a bottom feeding mutation like you and it's just like wow tell me how you really feel dick dick basically hates all demons thinks they're completely useless worse than humans and that if he wasn't busier with other things he'd wipe demon kind from the face of the universe and you'd deserve it and yes crowley is crystal clear on dick's meaning there meanwhile back in the winchester's piece of shit mobile dean opens the trunk which contains his duffel bag and the heads of the two leviathans who'd been cloning them and the tiny unicorn he cut free from the rearview mirror. And as we know, Castiel's trench coat. They're parked by the riverside. And Dean's like, you sure we should ditch these? Maybe they're going to come in handy down the road. And Sam is still not talking to Dean. Not even looking at Dean. And Dean is beginning to suspect there is something seriously wrong with Sam. I mean, not that he didn't already think there was something seriously wrong with Sam. But this is extreme. He asks Sam what's wrong, and Sam's like, nothing. Dean's like, yeah, that's not convincing. What, did looking at Monster Us give you the jeebs too? Yeah, because I'm not looking in a mirror myself for a while. Like, thinking maybe that was disturbing to Sam to see copies of them murdered, even though Dean's kind of familiar with the feeling now. Sam gets all self-righteous, straightens up, looks at Dean... It's like, you really want to know what's wrong? And Dean's like, yeah, that's my motto, here to help. Sam's like, help? Like you helped Amy? And Dean wants to explain himself, explain what he was thinking, explain his reasoning. And Sam's like, don't, don't lie to me again. And it's like, Sam, you lied to Dean through that whole episode where he felt compelled and obligated to kill Amy because he could not trust you, you were lying so much. So you get to demand honesty from Dean, but he doesn't get to demand the same in return from you. I know a lot of people, for a lot of people, this is a scene that is unforgivable because they cannot forgive Dean for what he did. And I, I cannot forgive Sam for how he's treating Dean here. Absolutely taking zero responsibility for how anything in the Amy situation went down. And I am just tired of boo-hooing for Sam about it all and blaming Dean for it. Because you know what? After 10 years of sitting on this, I'm on Dean's side here. So that's just my point of view on how this scene went down. Maybe I've slowly tipped more over into... I mean, I've always been on Dean's side in general because he's the stable brother and the one who is our point of view character that we're supposed to watch the show through the lens of him. But I've always had more sympathy for Sam. I think the more I've watched the show over the years, the less sympathy I've had for Sam and just like, oh God, Dean, I'm so sorry that you were put through this. And that's probably not fair to Sam because he is making a legitimate point here, but He's also just ignoring every problem that he has caused himself by lying to Dean this season so far, and last season, and in season five, and in season four, and it's, you see the pattern here. (laughs) Sam collects his backpack out of the car, storms off down the pier, he's like, I can't. Dean's like, you can't what? Sam's like, I can't even talk to you right now. And it's like, you wanted honesty, Sam. You demanded honesty. And you finally get it in a way that you don't like. When Dean had been shutting up about it to protect your precious Fifi's, Because he really didn't do the wrong thing when you look at it objectively. And not just through the, well, he should have trusted Sam. Why? Why should he have trusted Sam's opinion of Amy in that episode? There is no logical reason for after the way Sam behaved for Dean to have trusted him when one episode earlier Sam was shooting at nothing and unable to tell reality from his hallucinations. It's just, why should Sam suddenly be seen as perfectly upstanding citizen with all rational faculties included when one episode earlier he nearly shot Dean? I'm just, why does anybody expect Dean to just forget all of that? And pretend that Sam is perfectly sane and stable. Because he wasn't. And we saw Sam throughout that episode. But Dean didn't. Not because he wasn't trying to. But because Sam specifically and deliberately cut him off. Withheld all of the information about what he was doing. Yes, trying to protect his friend. But deliberately lying to Dean in order to do so. So... No, Sam is wildly unjustified, not to mention that they almost just got killed by leviathans. They've only now just learned how to defend themselves against them in a very small way. And Sam goes storming off as if it's just another Tuesday. And as if he's not on the verge of maybe falling back into his hallucinations again, as if everything's mentally fine with him, when just earlier this episode, the Leviathan possessing his form was saying, it's like full-on Satan vision 24-7 up in here. Like, how is this guy even wearing a jacket with detachable sleeves? It's surprising to him that Sam can even walk upright at this point. Based on how crazy it is inside his head. And it's like Sam's really good at putting on a front. And Dean knows that. And yet there's nothing he can do to get through to Sam here. Except let him go. And Dean is just going to be guilty and pissed off about this too. But he's going to get to process a little bit. I just needed to get all that off my chest. Thank you. (laughs) But yeah. Once again. If you're a real big Sam girl. You're probably going to hate my podcast. So anyway, I guess it's a little too late for that disclaimer this episode. But, you know, that's how it goes. But as Sam tells Dean to just go on without him, Dean just accepts that. And he's like, all right, I'm sorry, Sam. He's sorry that Sam feels this way, but he's really not sorry about what he did. And I don't blame him. But that is how the episode ends. And I think I got most of my feelings out about it in the last few minutes here. So I'm just going to skip to the fact that next week's episode, season seven, episode seven, The Mentalists, is one that I know a lot of people are kind of met on or even really dislike, but I personally love it. <laughs> so we got that to look forward to. Even if you're one of the people who's met on it, you can enjoy my joy. <laughs> and season seven just continues to strip things away from Dean. It takes Sam away from him in about nine different ways and about nine different episodes over the course of this season. But Dean loses something every time this happens. And he's lost enough already, right? But he's got a lot more left to lose. And he gets to confront that in next week's episode now in a way that is actually going to help him start at least coping with what he's lost, and then as soon as he starts to get his head wrapped around that, they're going to start taking more things from him until he's got literally nothing left. It's just new ways to remove Dean Winchester's things that he loves from his life is season seven, and I hate that for all of us, but here we are. I don't even know what else to say about this one. I know I had other things to say about it. This episode did give us some significant breakthroughs. Bobby got to confront himself and behead a version of himself. Probably felt kind of cathartic. Dean got to behead Sam, who wasn't really Sam, and then himself. And he's like, boy, that felt so good. And it's just like, God, you are really suffering, aren't you, son? (laughs) Somebody please get this man some therapy. (laughs) because he needs it after everything he's been through and we've got sam just running away from all of it and feeling superior to all of it like i would never betray you dean like this even though they're in this situation because he literally did and it's hard to like punish sam for it because the the break in his wall is is really not his fault. It's not Sam's fault he was tortured in hell. It's not Sam's Like, literally not. You can't blame Sam for it. But you can blame him for his choices and how he reacts to it. Just like any psychiatric disorder. And speaking as somebody with a psychiatric disorder who has had to account for this in my own personal life, your reactions to your mental illness are one thing. Your behavior to other people in the world based on those reactions is another thing. One of them is in your control. The other is not. And Sam is just choosing not to use his agency and control over his own behavior and reactions. And it pisses me off. Probably more than it does most people. (laughs) <laughs> because when you've been through like 30 years of therapy to bring these parts of yourself to a point where you can be like a normal, rational human being in society, to see a, a character get not only off the hook for behavior like this, but then praise for it and having the person who's trying to take care of him and hold him together get punished for it and told he's evil and horrible for what he did and it's just like he was trying to protect Sam and Sam is doing zero of the work of carrying this baggage it's kind of like a slap in the face to Dean that Sam's like oh I laid all my baggage aside I I just don't feel guilt you know like okay because I'm carrying it for you dumbass like get a clue Sam (laughs) Or at least help him carry the burden. And that doesn't mean force him to talk about things that he doesn't want to talk to you about. That means actually taking responsibility for your role in all this shit. And not just shrugging it off because you just don't feel bad about it. Because Dean clearly does. Anyway. Until next week when I get to have my moment of Dean catharsis. You can find me on Tumblr at Mittensmorgle or at spngeorge. You can find me on Discord and Blue Sky as mittensmorgle Or you can email me at mittensmorgle at gmail.com. And I look forward to talking to everybody again real soon. Mr. Mittens is getting ready to go to work. And his alarm clock literally went off right as I came to the end of my last little rant. So hopefully I haven't kept him awake yelling. But, um getting up now so i should probably stop recording and let the man get his coffee in peace anyway have a good one everyone